Good morning, and I am excited about being back here at Bobby's Branch. I was preaching a gospel meeting over in North Carolina, and I got up and I said, I, I travel every week somewhere differently, and so I had forgotten where I was located, and I said, I am so glad to be here in South Carolina, and a lady in the front row said, we're in trouble. He doesn't even know what state he's in. So I know I'm in Tennessee. I think I'm at Bobby's Branch. It is a pleasure for me to be here with you. I have uh, enjoyed getting to know uh, many of you. I was uh, in South Haven, uh, Mississippi uh, this week. Uh, there was a preacher there that I was speaking at a lectureship where the Brother Don is the preacher, and he is uh, planning to be home on Friday, and uh, there, he's planning on being back in the pulpit the very next Sunday. He's going to take one Sunday off and be back in the pulpit. But someone asked me, he said, where are you going to be this coming Sunday? And I, I said, well, I, Robert Jeffries, he used to preach somewhere in the county. And uh, I said, I'm going to be in, at McManville. He said, McManville? He said, what part? I said, uh, Bobby's Branch. He said, well, that's a good church. I said, I don't know about a lot of churches down here, but I know that's a good church. And brethren, I appreciate your commitment. I appreciate the elders, Brother Tony, uh, his love for truth. I was just on Facebook this week, and this idea of a renewed earth, and Tony was standing strong for the truth, and that made me proud, and I appreciate that so much. Joshua twenty four fifteen. choose you this day whom we will serve, but for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 620 years later, Jeremiah 21, 8, Jeremiah basically said the same thing when he said, I am setting before you, the Lord said, this day the way of life or the way of death. You have a choice. Every person in life has a choice. Now, this morning I had to get on Interstate 40. And uh, I'm not good with directions. I have to use a GPS, but I was here last year, so I remembered how to come. And you know, it didn't matter which road I got on. I didn't have to get on 56. I could have just kept going I-40. I could have gone to Nashville, up through Kentucky. It didn't really matter because all roads lead to Matt Memphis. You ready to set me down? You think I need to be admitted? Well, we don't think like that, do we? We know better than that. The very basic truths of lives, the very idea that all roads lead to MacMinnville is so, so ridiculous. You know better than that. That's the reason we have road signs. That's the reason we have Google Maps. That's the reason that, uh, that we ask questions. Sometimes we men do when we are just finally the wife says, you're lost, you usually have to stop finally and ask. Why? Because you've got to get on the right road to lead to the right destination. My friends, this idea that all of these different roads lead to the same place is absolutely ridiculous. I want you to notice also, it doesn't matter what we believe. It doesn't matter where you go to church. It doesn't matter what you believe. All roads are going to heaven. And you know most people in the world have bought into that idea. Do you realize that? Now, our text today says this. Enter ye into straight gate. Now, it's not talking about straight far as opposite of crooked. It's talking about S-T-R-A-I-T. Enter ye into straight gate. For wide is the gate, broad is the way that leads to destruction. 
and many will go in thereat. Now I want you to notice this. Many will go in thereat. Did you know the majority of the Bible is written trying to get us on the right road, the right path that will lead to the right destination, and that is eternal life. God never desired any man to lose his soul. Second. Peter 3, verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, that willing that all men should come to repentance. God doesn't want anyone to lose their soul. But you've got to get on the right road. Now, what did Jesus say about this very idea? And you notice the chart that I have up there. You have eternal destruction. And yet, we got folks getting on TV, getting on the radio waves, and getting on the newspaper, and they're saying, there's no such thing as eternal damnation. I happened to go into a grocery store the other day, and there was two men in an argument. I don't like arguments. I stay away from arguments. One of them was a member of the church. He said, right here's a fellow that can settle that. And I said, uh, I'm in a hurry. You've already made him mad. Don't bring me in on your anger. And uh, he said, but tell him, he's trying to tell me there's no such thing as eternal hell. I said, let me give you a verse. I can't tell you anything other than what the Bible says. Matthew 25, verse 46, and the righteous shall go into eternal life, but the wicked into everlasting destruction. And whatever and however long the duration of heaven is, that's how long the duration of hell is, because the same Greek word is used. He said, you're just like all the others. Well, it doesn't matter what all the others say. The book says that the righteous are going to eternal life and the wicked into eternal condemnation, eternal destruction. Now, I ask a question today. Why is it that most people will lose their souls? Like the Lord said, most people, many will go in thereat, just to be a few that find it. Why? Well, there are a lot of answers to that question, but I believe primarily Luke 6.46 would answer that. Why, when he was talking to the religious uh, leaders of the day, he said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? Friends, I, I, I want to talk to your heart this morning about doing the will of God. Forty-two years ago, I wouldn't have been here. Forty years ago, I wouldn't have been here. I was not reared in the Lord's church, reared up in the Lord's church. And when I first started studying the Bible, it blew my mind of all the different things that I heard people say and all the different response that I got when I started on my quest for truth. I I worked in a factory when I was 17 and 18 and 19 around religious folks, and they got into religious discussions, and I've changed. I used to like arguing. I don't know if it's the man thing or what, but I like to argue. I like debates. If it was a political debate, now, I don't do any of those anymore. Never. You don't win those. But I would listen to these guys discuss the Scriptures, and I'd go home, and I'd start getting my Bible out, and I'd read way on up in the night, and I'd come back, and I'd have a Bible answer. And all of these different guys were of different faiths, and and I would come back with a Bible answer, but I didn't necessarily uh, believe it, and I hadn't necessarily obeyed it, but I knew I could win because I knew the Bible was right. And the Bible is still right, friends. I want you to notice, when I looked at this passage in Matthew 7, 13 and 14, I want to notice a few things that I 
I, I came to learn about this gate. I want to share it with you today. First of all, in the Roman Empire, there would have been all of these little cities and Jerusalem that would have had a walled, uh, walled, what we call walled, uh, military strategic, uh, walls around their city. That would be for the purpose of being able to protect the, the people inside the city. In this Roman Empire, there would be soldiers that would be placed at the top of that wall in order to see when the enemy was coming. But there would be a gate. There would be a wide gate, and that wide gate would be one that the, uh, the soldiers could come in that belonged to that city. They might bring in weapons. They would be chariots. There would be horses. They'd open those big gates, and they would come in. Then there would be little narrow gates that people would walk through and they would be manned by a soldier. So in the mind of those that were receiving this, the recipients of this message would know exactly what Jesus is talking about when He talked about gates and He talked about uh, the different uh, narrow and, and uh, wide gate. First of all, I want you to notice that the straight gate leads to life. Is there a person here today that doesn't want to go to heaven? I was preaching over in India back in the jungles and uh, been going over there since 93, leaving again here shortly to go back and and was back in the jungles and one of my favorite sayings when I go back in those jungles, I'll say, how many of you want to go to heaven? I've never been to a place yet where everyone didn't raise their hand. They may not understand what heaven is. I might say something like this. How many of you here present that when you die, you want to go be with God and you want to avoid hell? Every hand goes up. A lot of times they'll raise both hands. No one wants to go to heaven. And the Lord is saying that one of these gates is going to lead to eternal life. Did He not say this in John 10.10? I come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. The very idea, the reason that Jesus came to this world was to seek and to save the lost, Luke 19.10, that we might have eternal life. God wants to save us. We're made in His image and His likeness. God didn't create the world to condemn the world. The world was already condemned. John 3, verse 17. But what does it mean that this gate leads to eternal life? The second thing, and we're going to analyze that in a minute, you'll notice the word straight means difficult. You're not going to go to heaven just because you raise your hand and you say you want to go. You're not going to go to heaven just because your mom and daddy may have been uh, in paradise. You're not going to go to heaven because you're married to a godly wife or a godly husband. You're going to go to heaven because you agonize. That's literally the Greek definition of that word. To agonize. Straight is the gate. Difficult is the way. You've got to agonize. You've got to put forth energy. You've got to put forth effort. Everywhere I go, brethren... I'm trying, I started a meeting in Stroudsville and down in Clarksville, Tennessee in a couple of weeks. One of the lessons that I'm preaching is that we need to be revitalized in our congregation. We need to wake up. We've got a work to do. Brethren, we've gotten comfortable a lot of times in our pulpits. We've got comfortable sitting in our pews and folks are dying and going to hell and sometimes we never mention Jesus to them. 
There is a heaven to gain, a hell to shun. How do you go to heaven? According to what the Lord said, it's difficult. Luke's account of this says to strive, to agonize, put forth energy, put forth effort. When I played junior high football at Monterey many, many, many years ago, we had an offensive line. There were only 15 players on the whole team. Takes 11 to put on the field. I was a running back, and our offensive line was about the same size I was, and I was 130 pounds. I've gained about 100 since then. No, not that much. But uh, Now, think about this. Every time I'd get the ball, for some reason, my offensive line would hit the ground. I found out later, as I was getting on to them, they said, you let them big 250 guys hit you, you hit the ground too. But what I was trying to get them to do was to block. I was trying to get a body in front of them where maybe we could 